morning. That song from age to age, I love it. We sing it often, and it is such an awesome reminder that we are here on a Sunday morning, uh, and around the globe there are people like us worshiping the same God, and it's really just a foretaste of the day that we will all come together and gather with the myriad of angels singing these songs about our Savior. And so what a privilege it is to be here with you this morning. My name is Nate, one of the pastors here. I get the privilege of opening up God's Word to you. And it has been an awesome week. If if you've been with us for VBS at all, uh, serving, the Miracles did a a phenomenal job organizing it. And and all the volunteers uh, just put a ton of work. And I know some of you are probably exhausted because of that. But it was well worth it. And and I, I just really was encouraged by our church family. There, there was a point where, and I can't remember exactly when it was, but I think Becky was up here doing something up front with the kids, and they were supposed to be focusing on what she was doing. And I looked around the room, and there's like five different conversations going on behind everybody. And I was thinking, man, this is getting a little bit distracting because there was so much noise behind me when they were supposed to be focusing up here. And I, I, I was to the point where, do I need to like tell people to quiet down. But then I realized, no, this is exactly what they need to see. They need to see our church family just enjoying each other. And that's what we did this week. And it was phenomenal. And so thank you from the bottom of my heart if you were a part of that in any way. All right, so let's dive into Exodus. We've been walking through the book of Exodus. Go ahead and turn or flip or turn on your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. We're still in Exodus chapter 12. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 12 for a little while now. This is one of the most important chapters in all of the Old Testament. It gets referred to over and over throughout the Bible as we talk about the Passover. Now, just to kind of do a quick recap of where we've been. So we started off the book of Exodus, and the Israelites, God's chosen people, were in slavery in Egypt, and they cried out to God, and so God raises up Moses as a Savior, like a small s Savior, right? And he sends Moses with these powerful signs and wonders to Pharaoh to convince Pharaoh to let his people go. Now, Pharaoh's heart is hardened, though, and even after Egypt is devastated by plague after plague after plague, he still will not let the Israelites go. And so we've come now to the final, most devastating plague, and God has already told Pharaoh and warned Pharaoh, if you don't let my people go, I'm going to kill every one of the firstborn in Egypt, except for my people, the Israelites. They will be graciously spared from this awful plague as long as they trust in God. And so last week, we talked about God's directions that he gave the Israelites for the Passover meal. This is how God would spare, would graciously spare his people by them taking the, the, a spotless lamb and sacrificing it as a substitute and covering the door of their home with the blood of the, of the sacrificial lamb, which is just an amazing picture of Jesus Christ. And so this week, God's going to continue to give instructions about how the Israelites are to continue to commemorate or to remember God's redemptive work once they've entered into the promised land. Okay, so that's where all of this is heading. Remember, God's plan is not just to wipe out Egypt and, and to judge them, but is to take his people out of there, free them from slavery, and bring them to the promised land. And so once they're in the promised land, God is giving them now directions. This is how I want you to remember my work. And so he does that 
with this follow-up festival to the Passover meal. Okay, so there's the Passover meal, and then right after the Passover meal, they were to do what's called the festival or the feast of unleavened bread. And it would last for seven days. And so the Passover and the seven-day feast of unleavened bread are very much connected to one another. In fact, often the Jews will just combine the two and call them both the Passover festival or call them both the, the festival of unleavened bread. But you need to understand that the first day of this festival is the Passover meal, and then for seven days they would eat no leaven, and we're going to talk about why. And so as we walk through this passage, there's a few things I want you to notice. First of all, I want you to notice how God expects the Israelites to observe this feast in the coming years. They're going to pass it down from generation to generation. Secondly, I want you to notice that there's some significance to it being unleavened bread. We're going to talk about that, and we're going to wrestle with that a lot. I want you to see how this points to Jesus. And then finally, we're going to just kind of look at some of the examples in the New Testament where they use unleavened bread as an illustration. Okay, so that's where we're headed. So let me pray one more time, and then we're going to dive into this text. Father, I recognize that apart from your spirit, my words mean very little, and so I plead with you right now that your spirit would guide me, that you would speak through me, that our hearts would be receptive to your holy word, and our spirits and our hearts would be transformed and changed and made more holy because of this, Lord. Strengthen our faith because of your word and because of the gospel. I pray, I pray that you would raise our affections towards you during this time as we read about the, un, the, the bread of life, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, for if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. But what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought you your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever." In the first month, from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread." All right, so let's first start by talking about the Memorial Day. God begins the passage by saying that this day shall be for you a Memorial Day. The Passover meal was to be an annual event that would be passed on through the generations, a statute, an ordinance forever. 
And so God gave them this as a way to help strengthen their faith. These memorials that God sets up, they're, they're meant to bring to mind His redeeming work. And so during this feast, they would eat the, the bitter herbs. During the Passover, they would eat the bitter herbs and they would remember the bitterness of their slavery. They would eat the lamb and remember God's saving salvation, that, that He spared them from the plagues and even from death. They would eat the unleavened bread and remember the speed at which they had to leave Egypt and, and how God provided for them in the wilderness through manna. Notice, also, it was a feast to the Lord. Not only did the Passover serve as a memorial, but it served as an act of worship. This feast was meant to be a celebration, a time to set aside and, and praise God. It, it was meant to be a time where the family of God gathered together, and God would raise their affections, and their hearts would, would be strengthened, their, their faith would be strengthened. And so as the Israelites would approach Jerusalem. So every year during the Passover feast, they would all come together to Jerusalem, to the temple. And as they're approaching, they, they would walk up the hill to Jerusalem. They would be singing these psalms of ascent to get their hearts prepared. And when they were eating the meal together, they would actually sing psalms. Psalm 113 to 118. Uh, it's, and they're called the Hallel. Okay, that's that group of psalms. And they're called the Hallel just simply because uh, the word hallelujah, which means praise the Lord, is used often in those psalms. But they would sing these psalms together. In fact, Matthew and Mark record Jesus and the disciples. They sang a hymn at the Last Supper. This is probably one of these psalms that they were singing. And, and these psalms were, were precious to the Jews because they reminded them of God's redeeming work. So Psalm 113, if you read it and you look at it, it's just kind of an introduction kind of psalm that praises our glorious God. It starts off, praise the Lord, praise, O servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord, blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth forevermore, and it goes on, praise the Lord. And then you go to Psalm 114, and that's a recollection of the Exodus. It walks through the story of the Exodus. And then, and it's a great picture of, of God, how he's going to ultimately rescue his people from the bondage of sin and and. and freedom in Christ. And then we see Psalm 115 to 118. They're all messianic psalms. They're a prediction of a coming Messiah. And so for hundreds of years, they would celebrate this Passover meal. And while they're celebrating this Passover meal, they're singing about this coming Messiah. And so this feast, to kind of summarize, it was both a memorial and an act of worship that was graciously given to the Israelites by God as a means to strengthen their faith, to unite them together, and to raise their affection towards Him as they looked forward to a time of a greater exodus, a, a greater freedom that they would have from sin, a greater Savior, a greater salvation. And so let's talk about the significance of the unleavened bread. And I want to answer several questions here. And so first of all, just, okay, what is leaven? We'll start there. And then, okay, why did they have to eat unleavened bread for seven days after the Passover meal? What's that? Why, why did they have to clean their houses of all the leaven in their houses? And, and what did it mean that they would be cut off if they ate leaven during those seven days? So start, let's start with, uh, okay, what is leaven? Often when we think of leaven, we just think of yeast, right? The stuff that makes dough rise. But back then, it's not like they could go to the store and pick up a pouch of yeast, right? 
And so to, to get leaven, what they would do is they would get a starter dough, okay? So a little ball of dough, and they would put it in a bowl, and they put that by the window. And the, the yeast spores that are just naturally in the air would eventually settle into that dough. And after a while, what they would do is they would dip that dough in like wine or vinegar, and they would put it in a closed container for it to ferment, for, for it to sour, okay? That's where we get sour dough from. And fermentation, if you know anything about that, that's just the natural process of decay. That's what's going on with this bread. Eventually, the, the sour, that little starter dough would be put into a larger ball of dough, and you'd make a, a, a loaf of bread. And so why is God having the Israelites fast from the leaven for seven whole days? Of course, he, he's reminding them of what he had done for them in, in the Exodus, how fast they had to leave. There was no time for the dough to rise, right? So they had to get going. And uh, fasting from leaven for seven days would drill it into their minds and into their hearts. And remember, the, the number seven throughout the Bible typically means complete or perfection. And so God is essentially saying that, look, I, I really, forever and ever, I want you to remember this. And so God made us, and he, he knows us well. He knows that the things that we fail to intentionally remember, we quickly forget. And so he gives us these things as a way, as a means for us to recall what he's done. So why did they have to clean their whole houses from leaven? I mean, that seems a little bit extreme, right? Even today, like if you're a practicing Jew, you do some extreme spring cleaning before the Passover, okay? If you're practicing Jew today, you will clean all possible locations of where they call, what they call it shamats, okay? That's like yeast products, breadcrumbs, okay? And so they're looking everywhere. They're looking in their couch cushions. They're looking in their, their pants pockets. They're looking in the closet floor. They're, they're cleaning everything. The entire kitchen needs to be scrubbed down and sanitized. They take boiling water and pour it on the counters and on the on the, um, uh, their, their dining room table and then wash them and scrub them with soap and water and then they cover them so that they're not contaminated until the Passover meal. They take all of their normal dishes and they put them away and they bring out special designated dishes that are just for Passover in, the, in that meal. Uh, they, nowadays with microwaves, they, they will boil water in the microwave for 10 minutes to free it from all potential shamats. And so the floors and the windows throughout the whole house, they need to be scrubbed out. And I could go on and on. It's a huge deal. I think even people that enjoy their house to be clean, this would be exhausting to do all this. And so why? And then, and then on the night before Passover, there's a final ceremonial search for Shemetz. It's performed by candlelight, and it kind of reminds me of like an Easter egg hunt. It's done by the whole family, and so the parents will, will hide 10 pieces uh, like breadcrumbs, shemets, and the, the kids will have to go around by candlelight and find these last 10 pieces that remind them of the 10 plagues. And they will take, the kids will take a, a feather and a wooden spoon, and when they find a piece of, like a breadcrumb, a shemets, they will sweep up the, the feather into the wooden spoon, and eventually the shemets gets put into a napkin so it can be burned the next morning. So why do all this? Well, it's because it, there's symbolism here. It means more than, 
unleavened means more than, than just the, a, a reminder of how fast they had to leave. If you look throughout Scripture, leaven represents decay, okay, and ultimately death because of sin, and it very quickly infects everything around it. Okay, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So to clean or to purify your house from all the leaven is to make it holy, is to make your, it's to sanctify your house. Why? Because somebody very important is coming to visit you, right? And so, like, I know each Tuesday when we have missional community at our house, we typically will spend some time cleaning up the house. Now, if one of our parents is coming from out of town, though, we will spend a lot of, we'll spend like a whole Saturday cleaning up our house. You know, someone, my mom's probably watching right now. But, <laughs> but, like, if the President of the United States was coming to your house to visit, you would spend some time, even if you don't like them, you would spend some time cleaning up your house, right? Well, when the God who created the universe is coming to visit you, what do you do? You do a deep clean. You sanctify your house. That's what they're doing during this, this time. This is why God said also, if you eat leaven during the week of this festival, you shall be cut off. He wants, to see, he wants you to see the seriousness of sin and, and, and see how holy he is. And so to be cut off in this context meant that God would cut you out of his family. He would cut you out of his blessings. He would cut you out of eternal life. It was a serious thing to disobey a holy God. It is a serious thing now to disobey a holy God. A holy God cannot tolerate sin of any kind. And notice in verse 19, God mentions that even the sojourners or those who are native to the land will be cut off if they disobey this ordinance. When the Israelites finally get to the promised land, there would be some in the land that wanted to join them. They wanted to be part of God's family, and they, they, they would convert to Judaism. And so God's saying that even, well, I don't care if they're natives there, I don't care if they're sojourners, if you want to be a part of my family, you've got to follow my rules. There's no exception to holiness, he's saying. And perhaps maybe he had in mind here that there would be some sojourners from the Israelites that were traveling. Well, even if you're traveling outside of Jerusalem right now, he's saying, look, you need to follow this ordinance. I hope you see the seriousness of this ordinance and, and the weight of God's holiness. And I hope it reminds you of one of the main purposes of the law. Uh, of these ordinances, uh, of these rules, the, even these, these festivals, what are they meant for? They're meant to point us to our need for Jesus. Because this is the reality. None of us can perfectly rid our houses from all the leaven. Okay? It's, all in, the, it's in the air. It's everywhere. Okay? You can never clean your house good enough. The same thing is true about sin. I don't care how hard you work, you will never get all of the sin out of your lives. It's who we are. It's our flesh. What uh, Jerry Bridges, I think, said that even our tears of repentance are soaked with sin. doesn't matter how hard you try, you need a Savior. It, we, we all deserve to be cut off by God. And unless God intervenes on our behalf, 
We have no hope. Which is why they must have loved Passover. Because that celebration, that feast, was God reminding them that he had intervened on their behalf. And Jesus is not only the spotless lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who intervened on our behalf. But what I want you to see today in particular is that not, not only did he cover us with the cross, the blood on the cross, he didn't just cover us with his blood. He is also the living bread, the pure, unleavened, never decaying, sinless savior. And I want to show you that from scripture. And so, Jesus the living, okay, so VBS on Friday, in the skit, some of you are here, you learned that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and Bethlehem means what in Hebrew? House of bread. Bet means house, and the lehem means bread. And so, we also know that in John chapter 6, Jesus calls himself the bread of life. And he's referring to the manna that came down from heaven while they were in the wilderness. But I think it's significant that he uses bread, <clears throat> excuse me, to describe himself. Think about this. When Jesus walked the earth, he was a Jew, right? And like all good Jews, on, for the Passover feast, what did he do? He went to Jerusalem. He would travel to Jerusalem. And we, we've got several accounts of this in, in the Gospels that he's doing this. And what did he do? And, th and there's at least two accounts of this. Well, they're not more than that. There's two, and I think there are two separate accounts of Jesus going into Jerusalem with his disciples during his ministry. And what's the first thing he does when he goes into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover? He goes to the temple and he cleanses it, right? He cleanses it. He, he goes in there and he, he looks at what's going on in the temple and he drives out the merchants and the, and the money changers and he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. In other words, this house is meant to be sacred, it's meant to be holy, and you've defiled it with your leaven. Jesus was removing all the leaven from the, his house before the Passover. If you go back to Psalm 16, it's a, another messianic psalm. David is writing this, and Psalm 16:10. He says this, he says, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or, or the place of the dead, or let your Holy One see corruption. And the word corruption here, if you look at your little footnote that's in your Bible, or at least a lot of your Bibles, it's going to say that it means literally the pit. And so David, he's first saying that Christ's soul, talking about the Messiah, his soul would not be abandoned to the place of dead, but also his body would not see the pit, the place where body bodies go to rot and decay. Now, in the New Testament, the book of Acts, that verse, Psalm 16.10, is, is quoted twice in the book of Acts. The first time is when Peter is preaching at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. The second time is when Paul is preaching in Antioch uh, chapter 13. And both Peter and Paul, they use this verse to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. And it's interesting, the Greek word that is translated, if you've got the ESV version, it's translated as corruption. Uh, it's in, in the Greek, it's diathora. And in some of your Bibles, it may be translated uh, as decay. It, it, and that's what the word originally was meant to mean. It, it's talking about organic material decaying or rotting. 
And so why is it that Jesus would not be thrown into the pit to see rot or decay? Well, it's because he's the pure, holy, sinless, unleavened bread of life. There's another messianic prophecy we find in the Old Testament. It comes from Isaiah 53. In verse 9 we read, And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. So in other words, as pure and as innocent, as sinless as he was, he was still assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich. Which is really interesting because the wicked and the rich were not buried together. Okay, in the Roman culture, if you were crucified on a cross as a criminal, you were wicked, and they didn't give you a proper burial, right? They either, and this is kind of gross, they would either leave you on the cross and you become food for the vultures, or they would take your body down and throw it into a pit where there were other bodies that were decaying. And that's where you would lie. But that doesn't happen to Jesus, does it? We read in Luke's gospel account that when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. When Pilate ordered it to be given to, and then Pilate ordered it to be given to him, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud, laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut into the rock, and he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb, and then he went away. Notice what's happening here. Jesus, the pure, unleavened bread of life, was assigned a grave with the wicked. He was assigned a pit to be thrown into so his body would decay, but God intervened and says, no, the pure, unleavened bread of life will not see decay, just like Psalm 16. If you think about it, the, the Jews, when they have that, that, uh, that last ceremonial search right before Passover for Shemetz, and their kids are, are looking all over the place. This is a picture of Christ. They don't realize that, okay? They don't realize it, but that's really a picture of Christ. Think about it. Jesus, the unleavened bread, he bears our leaven. He gets swept up by the hand of God and placed on a wooden cross where he experiences the full fire of God's wrath and fury on our behalf. And after he declares in victory, it is finished, they take him down, they wrap him in a linen cloth, not to be burned, not to decay, but to rest on the Sabbath day and then to rise on Sunday. Defeating decay, defeating death, defeating corruption of sin. And so you go to the New Testament, there's several places where Jesus and the Apostle Paul, they use leaven, and this is where it gets awesome. Uh, they use it as an, an illustration to warn believers of sin. And so, like, for example, Jesus warns his disciples to watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians. And he was warning them to watch out for, like, their hypocrisy, their false teaching, their, their self-ambition, their, their works-based righteousness, their legal... Galatians, Paul uses leaven to illustrate the dangers of legalism and adding things onto the gospel, that you need to have faith plus something else. And so Paul also, in his letter to the church in Corinth, in chapter 5, and if you want to turn there, I would encourage you to do that. So 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and he's addressing some, seriously, some serious immorality within the church. So there's a man who has slept with his father's wife. 
Okay, and if you do the math there, even the outsiders, the unbelievers, knew that that was messed up in Corinth. And yet the church in Corinth was allowing it to happen, and even more, they were boasting how awesome they were. And so listen to how Paul addresses them. And so this is 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 6. He says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Notice how leaven or sin is like a virus that spreads. Just like a little leaven or a little yeast will cause a whole loaf to puff up, sin and immorality, hypocrisy, false teaching, legalism, all of these things have the ability to infect and to spread throughout the church and throughout the world. So to combat this, notice what Paul does. Notice he doesn't simply say, okay, church, try harder. Stop being so lazy. He reminds them of who they are. That's what he does. He reminds the church in Corinth that they truly are now, because of Christ, look at verse 7, cleans out the old, clean out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are what? Unleavened. You are unleavened. How could that possibly be? That's the gospel right there. That's the gospel. Because of Christ, our Passover lamb, we are made clean. We are unleavened. We are declared pure. If we are in Christ, like Christ, we will not experience decay. We, like Christ, will one day rise from the grave. And so we're about to take communion as a, as a church family here in a minute. And every Sunday as we do this, what are we doing? We're reminded that Jesus, the pure, unleavened bread of life, now dwells in us. Amen. Through his spirit. That means his holiness is now our holiness. His righteousness is now our righteousness. His purity is now our purity. There's nothing that beats this. I mean, this is the God. This is our God. There is nothing that beats what Christ has done on our behalf to intercede because we could not cleanse ourselves. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace that though we are our flesh is filled with leaven and with sin. You look at us and you loved us so much that you were willing to intercede and to die on our behalf to cover us with your blood. And now we get to celebrate that. We get to celebrate the reality and participate in this wonderful meal, knowing that now we, we have you inside of us. And so your holiness is our holiness. Your righteousness is our righteousness. And no, we are still sinners in need of you. Every single day we mess up. And so we, we love coming here because we are reminded that you have done everything necessary to save us and make us right with God. And so we praise you for that. And we're going to sing about that for all of eternity. We will never get tired of singing about your grace 
and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you're a visitor with us, we, we celebrate communion. I hope you see that today. We do this every single week because we recognize we need, to be, we need to be reminded every single week of what Christ has done for us. And this is also just like it was for Passover. This is us looking forward to the day where we will feast with Christ face to face. And so this is an awesome celebration where we're united together as a family. And so if you are a believer, we would encourage you to join us in this celebration. This is also a time for us to confess sins to, to one another, to God. If you need somebody to pray with, I will be in the back. I would love to pray with you. If you're coming to here this morning and you're starting just, your eyes are just starting to open up and God's opening up your eyes to realize that, man, I have been working my tail off to try to please God and I'm never going to be good enough. But you know what? I'm realizing now that Christ has done everything necessary so that I can be with him for all of eternity. And I'm just like, whoa, my mind is blown by that. My heart is just on fire because of that. And Christ is saving your soul, I would love to celebrate with you today. If you have questions about salvation or, or church membership, baptism, don't leave today until you get those questions answered. This is also a time for us to give sacrificially and joyfully because he is worthy of our sacrifice. If you're a visitor with us, don't feel obligated, but we've got boxes here. So communion is set up here and we've got one in the back also. And so just as God is leading you, you can come forward or go to the back and, and grab your, your elements. The juice represents the blood of Christ shed for us for the forgiveness of sins. The bread represents his body, his, the perfect, unleavened, sinless Savior. Be reminded that he is now in you through his Holy Spirit. And so you come as God is calling.